Good morning, Five Stones Church. How are you guys doing? Thank you for joining us in person and online, and we are glad that you are here. All right. So we're in the book of Ephesians. So for those that are joining us for the first time, we are in a new sermon series, and it's called Blessed Beyond Measure. And we're going to be going through the book of Ephesians all the way up to Christmas. The book of Ephesians is actually one of the first books that I've read and studied as a Christian. And so the book of Ephesians has a really, really special place in my heart because this is one of the first, first Bible studies that I've ever done was in the book of Ephesians with a group of guys. And so it, it, it resonates in my spirit. And one of the reasons why I love this book is because this book talks about this is who God is and this is who we are. And this is how God wants to bless us so that we can live a life abundant with him. And that's why I love Ephesians. It's, it, it gives me my identity. It shows me who I am. It gives me, this is the way that I am now that I have this life with Jesus. And so Ephesians is a great book. If those that, those that haven't read it, it's actually a very quick read. It's six chapters long. You could do it in one sitting. It, it takes maybe 25 to 30 minutes to read through the whole book. But I would encourage you throughout this series to just keep reading Ephesians. Read it over and over and over again because Ephesians has so much that we can draw out of. Take some time, maybe for the first couple of times, read it from, first, from beginning to end. And then maybe slow it down and just read it section by section or verse by verse. But as, as we go through each aspect and as we preach through it, I would love for you guys to be able to be like, hey, what Pastor Rich or Pastor John brought up there, really, I, I, I felt the same thing as, we, as I was reading, and I hope that it becomes this encouragement for you. And so I want to, to encourage you guys to read it over and over, all the way through the end of, the, of our, our sermon series. And I, I hope that as we read it, that it continues to reveal God's blessings for us. It continues to reveal uh, and encourage you to walk into the fullness of who God created you to be. And so before we go into it, um, let's pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for just who you are as God our Father and one who chooses us. So Father God, we just pray that as we come before you, that as we, we rest in your scripture today, Lord, that you speak your gospel to us, that we are reminded of the good news that we have come into. So, Lord, we thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I love superheroes. As a kid, I was slightly obsessed with superheroes. Superman, Astro Boy, He-Man, Thundercats. Some of you guys don't even know what these things are. But just the superhero concept of somebody that is powerful coming to rescue those that need to be rescued is one of those things where... Those stories I just love. My son Judah is three years old right now, and he is just starting to come into what superheroes are. This is a couple pictures of Judah. He loves everything superhero. He started off with PJ Masks, very, very simple, and Paw Patrol, but now he's totally into the Avengers and Spider-Man and, and Hulk, who's just one of his favorites, and Iron Man, and, and 
he just, just I don't actually fully under, think he understands what a superhero is because he's more about the fighting part of it right now. Um, and it's a, a new thing that he's trying to navigate. But the thing is, he is so into superheroes right now. And it's, it's, a, it's an area that I love sharing with him. It's an area that him and I both are able to kind of enjoy together. So I get to kind of relive uh, some of that through him. But one of the things is that all of us in some way love a good rescue story, whether we're into the fictional superhero aspect of it or we just love hearing a good rescue story. We love hearing the news when it broadcasts and we see like a fireman rushing into a burning building and dragging out the, the people that are inside that building. And when, when they come out, everybody's cheering and everybody's it's just elated. We just love a story of rescue. So whether it's Superman lifting a lake, freezing a lake and lifting it out to put out a fire, or whether it is a fireman bringing out a child that's in a burning building, it brings so much hope into our heart and into our spirit. This morning we're going to talk about that a rescue that God has given us. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to go through verses 1 and 10, 1 to 10. For us, some of us are living in a place where we're looking for that hero. Some of us are waiting for that hero to come and save us, and some of us actually don't think we even actually need a hero. Some of us are sitting here saying, you know what, my life is good. I don't need anybody to save us. I don't know what I would need saving from. And so if you have your Bibles, Ephesians 2 starts out with this. It says, you were dead in the trespasses of your sins in which you once walked. So for those of us that don't think that we need to be rescued, one of the things that I want you to realize is that death is always knocking at your door. That death is something that is inevitable, that this is the big idea here. This may be a morbid idea that I may be bringing out, but this is reality, is that every single one of us, no matter what we do in our life, will eventually die. Death is always the end result of your life. This leaves us, if we don't have hope, if we don't know what we're living for, it leaves us with little purpose and little hope. What are we chasing for in this life? What are we looking, what are we, what are we going after in this life? Are we going after fortune or fame? What does that leave you with? If, is there more meaning to do good, to change policy, but at the end of the day when we die, what happens? Death is a reality no matter if we live a perfect or an imperfect life. The conclusion for all of humanity is always death. Death is a result of sin. Genesis gives us this narrative of the fall of man in the Garden of Eden because when God created man, he created what? He created us in his image. God didn't create us to have death. God didn't create us to die. 
but it is because of sin. This is the choice of man that we have fallen away and therefore the consequence of sin is death. We as humanity, we all sin. And because we all sin, we all experience death. Death is one of those things where, for some of us, we don't want to look at. We don't want to think about. We don't want to think at as this is the end. But for others, death doesn't have to be an end. For, for those that believe in Jesus, for those that believe in who, who God is, we believe that death is actually the beginning. It's actually the beginning of an eternity with him. But however, if we don't know who Jesus is, death is a very real reality, and sometimes when we die, there are so many things out there right now and technologies that are being invested into to extend life. They're looking at cryogenics, they're looking at all of these different things in terms of holding our body in its, its place so that it doesn't deteriorate to the place where we will eventually face death. I just watched a movie recently, it's called Ghost in the Shell. It's not new, it's, uh, it's probably very old, it's based off of some Japanese animation and it was like, it talks about, and there's actually this Amazon special called Upload as well, where it talks about like uploading your consciousness or your, your, um, your brain into another being so you could extend to live this life. So in, 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 in popular culture, we're, we're always looking at life after death. What, is there something more to it? Is, can we continue to live this life? And the reality is no. That when you die, you die. There is no ability for us to upload our consciousness. There's no ability for us to just take out our brains and put it into a shell and continue to live life that way. That is not possible. That is, in its, in, 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 in its best way, that is still fragile in, the, in a place where we're still dependent on something that is here on earth. Death is a reality, and it is a consequence of sin. If we keep reading in Ephesians, it says, it tells us, what is our sin? Did you know that the first sin is actually not a sin of, of murder or of, of lying, of, of cheating? The first sin is the sin of independence. It's a sin of selfishness. If we continue reading in verse two, it says this. It says that we're going to die in which once we walked following the course of the world, following the prince of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our sin, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What it's calling out is, it's calling out the way that we live. I've highlighted the things in terms of the sins that we're, we're a part of, okay? First one is to by following the course by following the course of this world. By following what this world dictates for us to live for, to strive for, to chase after, and by following the prince of the power of the air. 
that all of these things are actually not following who we're created to be and who we're created as in this relationship with God. When God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he created us in his image to be exactly like him as image bearers of him and in perfect holiness of, of, of him. But sin separates us from God. And when we look at that sin, that sin is literally us wanting to have control over our own lives or our own independence away from God and separate from God. That is the first sin. And so the first thing that Paul writes out here is that we're following the course of this world. We're following what this world dictates for us. And this world dictates to us that we are more important than anything else out there. That we need to look out for ourselves and make sure that we get the benefits to come towards us instead of the collective. The next thing is, is, is that by following the prince of the power of the air, now we're talking about something that nobody likes to talk about, and that is Satan. If we believe in God, we therefore also have to believe in Satan. Because that is the reality of what God tells us in his word. He says that there is the prince of the power of the air, which we're talking about is, the, is Satan and the demons that, that, that follow him. That there is a very real spiritual realm in this world that is both God and that is both Satan. And that Satan will do everything he can to influence us, to tell us things that we want to hear or to lie to us saying that God is not good enough for you and therefore you need to chase after the things that you have in your own heart. Satan's goal in his dominion is to separate you from God no matter what it takes. So if it takes fame and fortune to separate you from God, he's going to give you that. If it takes money and career, he's going to give you that. If it takes a self-boasting of I am doing the best that I can, I am serving humanity, did you know that that in itself is also an idolatry? That when we focus, I'm not focused on myself, I'm focused on everybody else. And I want to save everybody else, that that is also a form of idolatry because you're idolizing yourself in doing this work and not trusting that God does this work and that you don't walk beside him and work with him in doing this. That is a reality, and that is sin in itself. When we separate ourselves from God, that in itself is sin. And then he goes on to say that we lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying the desires of our body and mind, that we live according to whatever drives us, our, whatever our heart drives us to, whatever our gut drives us to, whatever feels right in that moment. Why do marriages fall apart? Is because we're carrying desires of our flesh. That adultery happens, that cheating happens because of the fact that we want something else outside of something that we've already committed to. That's what it is. These are the sins that God is talking about. These are the things that is bringing us to the place of death. And then this says that by nature, we are children of wrath. What we're saying when we choose life without God is saying that my identity is no longer who you created to be, created me to be, 
that my identity is no longer who you created me to be, but who I'm creating myself to be. That I'm determining my own destiny and prescribing my own path in how I walk. That I trust myself more than the one who chose me and the one who created me. To choose this life without God is choosing death. A lot of us could say, well, John, I live a good life. I don't believe in, in this Christianity thing. Christianity is wrapped up in all these politics. And yes, today it just seems like Christianity is wrapped up into politics. You're either on this side or this side. But that's not what it's about. You can say, John, I live a good life. I don't steal. I don't lie. I'm generous with those who are in need. I can find peace in living the best life that I can. Well, that's great. I'm glad you're already doing that. But even in the end of living that best life, that good life, you know how in funerals a lot of people, whether they're Christians or not, they're just like, well, they're in a better place. You don't know that. You don't know that they're in a better place. They're just not here. They're not suffering in their illness. Maybe that's, that's the better place. But what's on the other side of death? Is it nothing? Or is there continued life after that? And what kind of life is after that? Doing good will not bring you into heaven. Living a good life will not bring you into heaven. After you die, what happens? In a couple generations, you will be forgotten. What is it that you're living for? What is the purpose of why you live? You may say, John, well, I don't experience the wrath of God. Well, in Romans 2, 5, it says that you are storing up wrath for yourself for God's righteous judgment. That every sin that you commit will come back to you whether, you, whether they are known or unknown. That the wrath of God is against sin. And that the wrath of God, the result of it, is always death. You see, a lot of us don't like the idea that God's wrath is against hum humanity. But here's the reality of it, is that we like to talk about God's love. Everything is like, oh, but God is love, God is love. But out of that place of love, out of that character of love, wrath comes with it. We don't like to see God angry. We just like to see God as this loving father that we could always come to. But here is the thing that God's wrath is out of his love. That wrath comes out of love and that the wrath isn't against humanity, it's against sin. That God loves humanity, but he hates sin. That God and sin cannot coexist and that God looks at sin and he's just like, I am angry with what sin has done to my people. When we love something, let's say you have a puppy and you love that puppy so much. And that puppy is all of a sudden has this cancerous disease that's eating him up or eating her up. How do you feel towards that puppy? Do you no longer love that puppy? No. 
You still love that puppy, but you will do everything in your power to get rid of whatever is killing that puppy. It may not be a puppy. We may not have dog people here. We may have cat people. I don't know what you are. We may have no pets. You may, it may be your, your computer, your, whatever it is. I don't, wanna, I don't know what it is. But whatever it is that you love, whatever is destroying it, you will do everything in your power to do what? To take away and to hate the thing that is destroying it, right? Because you always want to bring the thing that you love into a right relationship with you, but into a right and perfect place. And that's what God is saying. He's like, my wrath is not upon you as a person. My wrath is upon your sin that you have committed. That my wrath, that you are children of wrath because of sin. Not because of a lack of my love. My love is there for you. But your sin I cannot be with. And so therefore the consequence of your sin is death and separation from me. So in that wrath of God, God has a solution. And that solution is, it says this, but God being rich in mercy, rich in mercy, because of the great love, like I said, it's, God's love is always there, always there, in which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That is God's solution to all of this. That God is merciful and comes up, comes to us with his great love. That God will always love you as much as you feel like, okay, God's wrath is upon me. That God's love is, is more and greater than his wrath towards you. That this is the gospel message that in death, God is coming to rescue you from the fate of death. And God says, I'm going to rescue you now through my son Jesus. By sending my son Jesus to die on the cross for you, this is my rescue plan. Why? Because to pay for something, you need to pay with the consequence of that thing. So in order for God to pay for your death, he had to send his son to die. Many of us have debt. Let's say some of us, we owe the bank $10,000. For those that have houses in Vancouver, we're talking about hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars that we owe to the bank. We have debt. We have credit card debt. We have some kind of debt. Let's say there was someone that came up to you and said, all the debt that you have, whether it's student loans, whether it's bank loans, whether it's mortgages, whether it's car finances, whatever debt that you have, I'm gonna pay it all off. No questions asked, doesn't matter the amount. You could owe $2 or you could owe hundreds of millions of dollars. I'm gonna pay it off. And not only am I going to pay that debt off, any future debt that you're going to accumulate, I'm gonna pay that off too. 
How would you react to that? You'd be extremely grateful, right? You'd be like, wow, this is, this is incredible. What is, what's the catch? You see, sin is like that. Sin is like a debt that is owned. Some of us have little debt, others have great debt, but it doesn't matter the debt that you owe, you personally can never repay. It's not like a bank. You can't slowly finance your sin off by doing good work. So with sin, it only accumulates. You can never pay it off. It only accumulates in, your, in, your, in the spiritual sense. And what God is saying is that I'm coming and I'm gonna pay that debt off for past, for present, and for future. That through my son Jesus Christ, that sin is no longer a part of who you are. That is what we call grace. God comes and says, all that is owed, I will pay. Grace isn't earned, it isn't deserved, you didn't ask for it. He gives it to you in the form of forgiveness. And along with that, he gives you his love, his righteousness, his holiness, his truth, his spirit, and his church. God ultimately gives himself to you. Imagine it if someone paid off your debt and then he's just like, here's a car, here's a house, here's, here's all of this stuff that I'm gonna give to you. This is the blessing that is immeasurable, that you cannot measure. This is a blessing that God wants to pour into your life, that God gave himself through death on a cross to pay death for death. This grace, this gift is Jesus. That Jesus' death made us alive. This is verse five. Alive in who? In Christ. That Jesus, as he died on the cross, that we as humanity take on his holiness and his righteousness. That when God looks at us, he no longer sees our sins, but he sees that Jesus paid that price for us and that he only sees us as his son and his daughter. That it is relationship restored. And here's the thesis of the entire gospel. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not your own doing not your doing, it is the gift of God. It's not a result of work so that no man can boast. This is the big idea right here. It is through faith. What's faith? Faith is believing in him, it is trusting him, it is coming under the lordship of God. By saying, yes, I'm a sinner, I know that I have sinned and I'm coming in submission of who you are. It is believing and putting my trust that you are my creator and that you are my God and my father and I believe and trust in you. It is by coming through faith, acknowledging that God is real. Some of us, sometimes we don't feel like God is very real to us, but, but it's just, faith is just coming to a place of God, you are, you exist, you are there. And that he created you 
and that he loved you and that he died for you and that life is life does not end at death but is eternal and that you exist because of God that your personality your character who you are your talents your gifts your passion all of those things come from him that is faith faith is coming to a place of understanding that you are an image bearer of God that you are not just someone that exists, but that you are an heir to the throne and that you are a son and a daughter of the creator of the universe. That is faith. That is what we believe. This is the gift that you don't earn. You don't get by doing good works. And this is the fundamental difference in between Christianity and all other religions and beliefs out there. That all other religions and beliefs out there require us to do more, to be better, to try harder, to do good, to be a better person, to meditate more, to pray more in order for us to get to heaven. But the fundamental difference in Christianity is that God says, I have done it that I did it, that when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, Jesus says, it is finished. That everything is done. All you have to do is come to me and receive in faith. That's it. That is the fundamental difference between living with God and all other beliefs that are out there. It's not by works, but by grace. As we finish off here, it says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It says that because we are in Christ, that we are Christians, that the work that we do is not to get into heaven but it's because we understand the work that he has done and therefore we do the good works. The motivation is completely different here. The motivation is not we're doing good so that we could get into heaven. We're, we're doing the best that we can. We live as good Christians so that we could gain God's favor. That's not the, the right motivation. The motivation is that God has done all the work. He has done, he has died on the cross for my sins. He has paid the price. He has done all the good work. And therefore, because I see what God has done, I am grateful to who to what he has done for me, so therefore I extend that good work that he has done for me to others. You see how there is a difference there? That The motivation isn't that we do good work in order to get into heaven, but we do good work because heaven is already given to us, and therefore we extend heaven from heaven to earth. That you are an extension of that. That's why we do good work. That's why as Christians, as followers of Christ, that in Christ we do good works for it was laid out before us. Isn't that incredible? That we don't need to work for us our salvation that is already given to us and that as Christians that are in Jesus, we're gonna talk about that a little bit more next week. What does it mean to be in Christ? 
that we go and be blessings to others because we have received, we are rescued, and we receive the ultimate blessing, the ultimate gift, which is his son, Jesus Christ. And so that we do the work of Jesus now. That when we're doing something, you know that somebody else has already done the work. It was already laid out. All the work that we do has already been laid out before us. That the motivation is no longer selfish, but selfless. It's not that you could gain something from it, but because you have already gained something. That is so different from this selfish society that we live in. This selfish, selfie-taking, self-striving, self-indulging culture that we live in. That when we do the good work, it doesn't mean that we all have to be pastors, okay? It means that you, no matter who you are, wherever you are, you're doing his ministry and extending his will, his love, his grace, his faith to the rest of the world. That's your job. Why? Because we see what he's done for us. For those of us who don't know this, I believe God is calling you today and saying, come, receive it, and come into who I created you to be. And for those that already know this, God is saying, I'm reminding you of who you are in Christ. That your identity and your position in Christ is something that we need to remind ourselves of every single day. That the gospel needs to be presented to ourselves every day. That we remind ourselves that we are sons, we are daughters, we are heirs to the throne of God. Heirs to the throne of the creator of the universe. Because sometimes we talk, there's so much self-talk and, and, and societal talk upon ourselves of who we are not. It tells us that we need to do this, we need to do that, we need to be more like this, we need to be more like that. That we forget that we need to just be in Christ. And so this is... This is where we have to begin every single day. And I want you this week, as, we, as you go through this week, every single morning, from the moment that you wake up, you remind yourself of who you are. That it is the grace of God that you are saved, that you are faith, that, that you have faith in the great living God, that he is king of your life. And then go from there. Don't worry about the rest of the day. Negative talk will come. It'll always come. But if you remind yourself every single morning from the moment that you wake up of who you are, I promise you that your spirit, there's going to be a shift. There's going to be a shift. And those doubts that come, those insecurities that come, those things that come against you that speak of characteristics that is not of you, all of a sudden, there's a defense to that because God is saying, no, this is who you are. All of these things that you're feeling wiped, I've created you to be exactly who you are. So walk in that. 
And for those that don't know this, but have heard this message and say, I want that. We're going to say a prayer very shortly here. I'm going to invite you into a place of receiving that. And that prayer is not just for those that haven't, that, that don't believe, but it's a prayer that all of us actually need to say every single day by acknowledging that we are sinners and that we need Christ. In Romans 10, it says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. That's coming in faith. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and we are saved. And so right now, I'm going to ask Kelly to come on up. I'm going to lead us into a, a time of prayer. And for those that want to come to a place of committing or recommitting and want to pray with me, pray with me. And for those that have already committed themselves to Jesus and say, I just want, I just want to pray this because I just need a refreshing and encouragement today, pray with me as well. But it is not just, the sinner's prayer isn't just something where we just receive at salvation, but it is something that we receive every single day. So the sinner's prayer, I'm going to have it up on the screen. If you are making that commitment today, I want you to email us at the church, and I want you to let us know, and I want to meet up with you. I want to sit with you. I want to pray with you. I want to talk, with, talk to you. I want to hear your story. And so if you are making that decision today, I want you to be able to email either myself directly, john at firestonechurch.org, or email the info or email prayer. Email something. You just go on the website, click on a link, and an email will come to me. Somehow it will come to me. And I want to talk to you, and I want to pray with you, and I want to just celebrate with you this new life that you're, you're committing to. And so we're going to pray this, and then we're going to close off. I'm going to close us off in prayer. But I just want to encourage you guys today of knowing who you are, that you are blessed beyond measure, that God has poured out his greatest blessing upon you, which is his son, Jesus Christ. And that you are saved and rescued from death. So let's pray this together. It says, Dear God, I need you. I'm tired of doing things my way. Help me to do things your way. I invite you into my life to be my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, help me to trust you Help me to love you. Help me to live for you. I thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your peace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Father God, you are King, Lord, and Savior. And we thank you for your rescue. So Lord, as we come before you, Lord, may you fill us with your spirit and with your Son. And Lord, may we go and share with the rest of this world of this great news. So Lord, we thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be blessed, Five Stones. Be safe.
we'll see you guys next week.